Turn with me to Romans 1. Let me get to my assignment for this morning. I'm having fun already. I love when I can come someplace and be myself. Ain't nothing better. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 13. Very familiar passage, and we're going to look at some fun stuff today. Romans 1, starting in verse number 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Now, and you stop here a minute. Why don't you think about something? Paul's writing a letter to believers, and he's telling believers, I want to come and preach the gospel to you. So he wants to preach the gospel to people who have already heard the gospel. So maybe the gospel is a little larger than we thought. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto sozo, unto saving, healing, delivering, protecting, prosperity, wholeness, completeness. Salvation actually is probably a word that has jacked us up, and I'm going to get there in just a few minutes. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, anytime we hear certain words, if you've been in, in the church world for any amount of time at all, uh, let me give you an example. If I were to, if I were to say, now directly after service today, Pastor and I are going to go down to the city square. I'm not sure. It's the first time in Pueblo, but, you know, where, where a bunch of folks are. And we're going to go on the streets and preach the gospel to people. Now, most of us, where our minds would go is, oh, they're going to go try to get people saved. They're going to try to get people converted from darkness to light. Get people out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. Somewhere in there, our minds normally go to, they're going to try to get people out of hell and get them into heaven. Because most of the mindset, starting especially in the Reformation, we put the whole idea of salvation as a heaven or hell issue or an afterlife issue. The truth is, though, this. I don't need to be healed in heaven. I need to be healed now. I don't need deliverance, sozo in heaven. I need some sozo right now. I don't need prosperity in heaven. I need prosperity right now. And for years, we've taught people all about the sweet by and by and never taught them how to live in the nasty now and now. And you see, me growing up in the classical Pentecostal church, all of our songs were all about how much fun we were going to have over there. Everybody will be happy over there. Just a few more weary days ahead. Beulah land. I mean, all of the focus. I mean, we'll sing and shout the victory once we get over there. And I remember as a kid, I will never forget this. I, I was about nine, ten years old, and I said to my parents one day, I said, I'm not really that excited to go to heaven. And my dad was like, son, don't say that. He's, you know, third generation Pentecostal preacher. Son, that's horrifying. Why would you say that? I said, well, you know. I mean, I've heard all the preaching on heaven, and I, I love the idea of no pain and sickness and no sorrow and, you know, no tears, even though it's talking about the new covenant, but that's another discussion I want to sow, what I know now. And I said, but it seems like all we're going to do forever is sing. 
you know, and, and, and back then, I mean, we had Sunday night service, and back then, if you didn't go to at least 10 p.m., 6 o'clock till 10 o'clock, I mean, Jesus wasn't there. And if you didn't go to midnight, the Holy Ghost didn't show up. And if you're a four- and five-year-old little boy sitting in a wooden pew, and if you moved, you were getting a whipping when you got home. I said, listen, I mean, I love worship in the presence of God, but one big worship service forever is not attractive to me. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, I mean, he said we're gonna rule and reign with him. What are we gonna rule and reign if all we're doing is joining with the elders singing holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy? I'm like, I, as a, as a boy, I was like, I'm bored out of my mind already. <laughs> See, what gets me in trouble is I say out loud what most people think. Cause most people ask these questions, they just don't say it out loud. <laughs> Cause they're almost terrified too, cause we've not had church cultures where asking questions is healthy. So, I remember, remember saying, I said, Dad, he said that if we're faithful a little here, he's going to make us a ruler over much in this life and the life to come. So what am I going to rule? I'm a dude. As a dude, I want to do something. I'm a builder. All I'm going to do forever is just sing. And then I remember thinking as, as, as a little boy, it's like, you know, Jim Jones had just taken place. And if all the fun is going to heaven, I thought maybe they got something. Maybe I ought to all go out in the woods and drink some Kool-Aid and just go. Y'all pray for me, all right? Just pray for me. <laughs> Let me just qualify this. If, if any pastor wants you to go in the woods and drink Kool-Aid, don't go. Okay, I am just just thought I'd qualify that right there. Say, we love you. No, we're not. <laughs> I remember I preached with a man back in the 90s. He was in his 70s. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But he, uh, he said he got up on a Sunday morning in his church, and he said, how many of you here are homesick for heaven? Oh, everybody raised their hand. He reached inside the pulpit, pulled out a 44 bulldog, cocked it, said, who wants to go first? All of a sudden, <laughs> the hands started going down real quickly. You know, which of course nowadays, if you tried that nowadays, like in my church, I mean, I had a bunch of Latin kings. Uh, I mean, I had a bunch of gangbangers in my church. I mean, you'd have had at least 10 knives flying at you the moment you pulled up. <laughs> you, you go in churches I preach at in Texas, everybody's packing, man. I'm telling you, you get shot, you do that, and it's going to be front page. Pastor pulls a gun on everybody. You're going to jail. You can't do that stuff. <laughs> Not this. <laughs> it ain't happening. And then, I'll never forget, we had a young man, 20 years old, radically got, you know, had his awakening to Christ and saved out of drugs. And, and my parents were discussing it at me. They're like, you know, man, Chuck is doing so good. We're so proud of him. But, you know, we're kind of concerned because the pull of the world is there. And we're concerned about him backsliding because back then you could lose your salvation as quick as you got it. And I'm, I remember I remember, I'm sitting there. This was a 10-year-old brain. And I said, well, aren't you baptizing him next week? They're like, yeah. I'm like, keep him under. I mean, if the alternative is an eternal torture chamber, wouldn't it be more kind for you to just drown him so at least he's going to be in heaven? Not only that, but I think what we ought to do is all of the children, by the time they're at 12 or 13, this mythical age of accountability, which I have in my book, but by the time they're 12 or 13, if they've been good kids, baptize them, bring them up. If they've been rebellious little suckers, drown them, because then you're at least assured they're going to make it into heaven. And if that's our theology, shouldn't we be pro-abortion? See, we, we, we don't even think, we don't, we don't take our belief systems and think them all the way through. Obviously, we're not pro-abortion, we're pro-life because God is. But if we really believe that these people are gonna, most of the planet is gonna be eternally tortured, 
Just kill them in the womb, man. At least they're in. I hope I'm making some sense to y'all. So Paul here begins to, begins to share and he said, I I long to come to you to preach the gospel to you. For it's the power of God unto salvation. I, I began to ask two questions here this last year. I said, first of all, which gospel? And I'm going to talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know that there's seven things in the New Covenant, New Testament, actually called the gospel. There's the gospel of God. There's the gospel of the Son. There's the gospel of Christ. That's the one Paul brought up. There's the gospel of, there's the gospel of Paul. There's the gospel of peace. There's the gospel of grace. And there's the gospel of the kingdom. All of them are the gospel. It's the good news of God. He's God, King, Father. It's the good news of the dear Son. Everything Jesus did for us and as us. It's also good news of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer. It's the good news of the kingdom because the work of Jesus was finished 2,000 years ago, but the work of the church and the kingdom is ongoing. Because the heart of God was never about the afterlife. Eighteen sermons in the book of Acts, none of them were about heaven or hell. Paul brings up heaven one time, never brings up hell one time. You think he would have at least brought it up to the Corinthians. He's like, you guys got a a leader in your church who's sleeping with his stepmother. Y'all are jacked up. Y'all are celebrating it. The pagans in town are saying, man, what's the matter with you all? Y'all are crazy. Turn him over the destruction of his flesh so his soul will be saved. And by the way, if not, he's going to fry forever. That would have been a really good place to pop that in there. I'm just saying. doesn't bring it up one time. Why? Because the message of the early church was not about the afterlife. They were being hung upside down on crosses, crucified. They were being boiled in oil. They were being fed to lions because they were saying Jesus is Lord. And, and that culture, only Caesar was Lord. They were saying there's a new king in town. There's a new way of living. There's a new way of life. And it was so subversive because it wasn't through dominion and authority and power and empire. It was through love and service. Matter of fact, do you know that the Romans actually called the Christians in the first century? They thought they were a sex cult. Because they would greet each other with kisses. You know, there, there's some things in the Bible i got to be honest. We don't, we don't really do anymore. I mean, greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, if you walked into a church, someone would come walking up. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd be like, hey, man, listen, I don't even know you. <laughs> there's some stuff I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. You know, it's just, I'll give you a hug. You know, give me a handshake. <laughs> Are we at least having fun this morning? I hope so. We see, because we put such a focus on saved means either heaven or hell. And it puts such a focus on that, we then get confused when we see this word salvation. But there's actually seven things called the gospel. See, I was raised, and you still see this on churches. No matter what the sign out front said, especially 70s, 80s, 90s, still some today. Underneath, there would also be another sign that would say full gospel. We preach the full gospel. And the truth is, all that meant was, we teach what the Baptists and Methodists teach. We just add tongues of miracles to it. And, and most of the time, they actually weren't preaching the full gospel, because the full gospel is when you preach all seven of the things called the gospel. And what you had is you had the Pentecostals that were full gospel. They're preaching the gospel of Christ. They're preaching the gospel of God. They're preaching at times the gospel of the dear son. But they weren't preaching the gospel of grace, because, dear God, the only grace you got was to get in. After that, man, you had to... It's like in order to get to heaven, you were being pulled through a knothole backwards, man. I mean, you were striving to get a hold of the horns of the altar, constantly getting right with God, getting saved every single week. I mean, man, you were... Are exhausted. 
No wonder Jesus shows up and says, anybody tired, anybody weary, anybody burned out religion? They're like, yes, yes, and yes. I mean, they, they didn't only have 613 rules. By the time Jesus showed up, there was 245 laws they added to it and 365 prohibitions. By the time Jesus showed up, there's 1,100 rules to keep. No wonder the people were exhausted. He comes with some good news, and they're like, now somebody's making some sense. All we got to do is love. <laughs> they're like, we're going to follow this guy. We can do this. <laughs> But then, you see, I go to churches that they preach the gospel of grace. But then they don't preach the gospel of peace. Because now they stopped being legalists and they just became gracists. Because now they're fighting all the legalists. Still don't understand the gospel of peace. Now they're fighting the people that they came out from and were not a part of. And hardly anybody preaches the gospel of the kingdom because most of their eschatology is God's going to show up someday and heaven is three miles south of Mars on the way here through the Hubble telescope. And and, and we're going to have a meal someday. And, 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 and we're waiting for this consummation. And, and if you're waiting for a marriage supper with the Lamb for you to get to heaven someday, that means you're not married right now. And if you're not married right now, you can't have intimacy because that is called spiritual fornication. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, we're no longer married to the law, but we are married to the one who gave himself and died for us. You're already married. Jesus in the Last Supper, he said, I'm going to drink of this cup. I'm not going to drink of it again until I enter with you into my kingdom. He popped the cork on the day of Pentecost. We've been drinking the new wine for 2,000 years. You're already married, man. You're already in union. You're already one. We're waiting for all this stuff. And so most folks aren't preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They don't even know what it is because when we hear the word kingdom, what has confused us, is Matthew called it the kingdom of heaven and the rest of the New Testament calls the kingdom of God and we hear kingdom of heaven and we're automatically thinking. The only reason Matthew called it the kingdom of heaven is because his gospel was to the Jews and they couldn't say the name God. That's the only difference. It's the kingdom of God. All The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, it is the exact same thing. But this is what's confused. Listen, I'm heading somewhere. Are you all still doing all right? Okay. What we've misunderstood is what it means to inherit the kingdom of God. We read Paul in Corinthians, in Galatians, and then you get to the end of the book of Revelation, and it said, liars, thieves, fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we're like, yep, they ain't in. But then we're interpreting that the kingdom of God is going to heaven. The problem is you don't get an inheritance after you die. You get an inheritance while you're still living because someone else died. Inheriting the kingdom is not where you go when you die. It's how much of heaven manifests through you here. It is inheriting righteousness, peace, and joy located in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's never been about trying to get earth to heaven. It's always been about bringing heaven to earth. That's always been the heart of God. It's always been the heart of the king. And his desire has always been about that. And and, and on top of that, your behavior has nothing to do with whether you go to heaven. Believing in Jesus dealt with that once and for all. I, I still pray for people that have come to all for years who've been saved 40, 50 years and are still not sure they're going to make it into heaven. And I look at them and I say, you're in. Matter of fact, let me mess with you. You don't just go to heaven when you die. You went to heaven when Jesus died. You're a citizen of heaven. Stop freaking out. You're already there. Matter of fact, the announcing of the gospel, even to people who are unbelievers, is that they're also already there. They just don't know it. That's why it's called good news. 
Good news is God reconciled the whole world to himself. And now watch this. The whole world's been reconciled, which means brought into favor, but the whole world is not saved. They're not healed, delivered, whole, complete. we got a jacked up world around us. We preach the gospel because we want people to enjoy sozo. Because salvation is not about you getting into heaven. Jesus took care of that 2,000 years ago. I'm messing with you all right now. When he died, we died with him. That wasn't after you prayed a prayer. According to Colossians 2, when you were dead in trespasses and sin, he quickened you, made you alive, and completely forgave you. When did he forgive you completely? When did he quicken you? When you were dead in sin. That's why the whole world has been reconciled, but the whole world has not been saved. That's why it's not universalism. Universalism believes everybody's already saved. Everybody's not healed. Everybody's not whole. Everybody's not complete. They've been reconciled, brought into favor with God. But that's why Paul goes on to say, but now be reconciled. In other words, now that you know God's good with you, you still need to be good with God. That's why we're enemies of God, not because God views us as enemies. I think it's interesting that God tells us to love our enemies, not his. Isn't that interesting? He said, love your enemies. He never said anything about his. Why? Because God doesn't have any enemies. How do we know that? Because no greater love is this than a man laid down his life for his friends. And he laid down his life for everybody. So God has no enemies. We are enemies of God in our minds, Paul said in Colossians 2. That's why Jesus and John showed up preaching, repent, change your mind. You need to think differently about who you believe God is and what the old covenant taught you he was. Because he's like Jesus, not like Moses. He's like Jesus, not like Elijah. That's why the Mount of Transfiguration... Moses, Elijah, and Jesus having a discussion about his death. I think that I'd love to have been in on that conversation. And Peter walks up and says, let's build three synagogues. In other words, let's put this whole thing in a nice little box. Let's worship the law, the prophets, and let's just add Jesus to our religion because Christianity is just going to be Judaism 2.0. The moment he says that, Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is standing there all by himself, and the Father booms from heaven. This is my son. Hear him. In other words, don't hear them. Their only purpose was to point to him. You don't get your righteousness from them. You, the, you, you read them and study them, but you read them to study them to find him. Good teaching, brother. Hallelujah. Christianity is not Judaism 2.0. It's a whole new deal. Jesus showed up trying to explain that, and they still didn't get it. That's why it took them 10 years just to get out of Jerusalem. Jesus has to take Peter up on the rooftop and show him some barbecue rolling down out of heaven, some pigs in a blanket. He said, go hang out with an Italian. And he's like, I thought the gospel was just for the Jews. He's like, man, where were you for three and a half years? I'm trying to tell you, the people you excluded, I'm now including, and you're still sticking around Jews. Now watch this. Mm, Help me, Father. And I'm full. i got to be careful because I've not been here before. Liars, thieves, and fornicators will not inherit the kingdom. The problem with that is the next few verses. It also says the fearful will not inherit the kingdom. It's a Greek word, phobos. That means anybody that has a phobia. Anybody here afraid of spiders? I guess you ain't in. My, I've told my wife for years, there's no way if you literalize that verse without context, uh, she's not in. She's terrified of mice with wings. Bats. Uh, I was preaching on the south side of Chicago about seven years ago. My wife called me on the phone. She said, when you get home in two days, uh, just know I'm going to be at your mother's house. And I'm thinking, well, dear God, I, you know, I thought I was doing good. 
She's leaving me. I'm, I'm like, man, this is totally out of the blue. And, and she said, a bat came through the chimney. It's flying around our house. I want you to come home. Don't open windows. Don't open doors. I want you to find it. I want you to kill it. Put it in a bag. Bring it over to your parents' house. Show it to me. Then I'll come home. Then I took my whole family about 12 years ago to Australia with me uh, to do a conference. And, and we went to the Steve Irwin Zoo. And we walked up to this one cage. And she's looking inside. She's like, what's in here? I said, look up. She looked up. And she screamed because it was their bats over there are like the size of foxes with wings. Them suckers are huge. And she, ah! she was mad at me the whole flight home. I have, I have an aunt. She's 86 years old. She cannot see a snake on a cartoon. She sees a car. Ah! I mean, she freaks. Now, there's a reason for that. Because when my dad was 11 years old and she was 19 or 20, she was getting ready for a date and she went and made a big bubble bath. I mean, bubbles tied up all nice and high. And my dad, at 11 years old, she walked out of the bathroom to get something. He walked in and dropped 42 garter snakes in her bathtub. And so she comes in, she shuts the door, she slides down in the bathtub, and all of a sudden all these snakes. My, my aunt is 4'11", 80 pounds soaking wet. She flies out of the tub, hits the door. She doesn't open the door, hits it, knocks it off its hinges. You talk about adrenaline right there. And what she didn't know is that her, the, her date showed up early and was sitting on the living room talking to her dad. She runs up butt naked in front of her date. She has a good reason. To have a Phobos. <laughs> I remember saying to my dad, what in the world were you doing? 42 snakes? You know, I was like, where'd you put all them things? I mean, you know, just. So does that mean my little aunt who loves Jesus, she's full of the Holy Spirit, she's not going to go to heaven? It also says divination will not inherit the kingdom. Where you're like, yeah, those witches. Thank you. But wait a minute. The word divination is a Greek word pharmakia. It's where we get pharmaceutical drugs from. So if your doctor gave you a prescription, you ought to go back to the office and smack him because he sent you right to hell. It also says heresies will not inherit the kingdom. The word heretic means one who gives his own self-willed opinion. That just took care of the rest of us in the room. So you actually think that's talking about not getting into heaven? No. What it's saying is this. Listen, Paul dealt with our behavior in the new covenant. Behavior does not determine whether you get into heaven. Jesus' behavior took care of that. But behavior is still important because sin makes you stupid. When you sin, you do dumb stuff. Sin opens the door to the enemy to wreak destruction in your life, and you sow dumb stuff and you reap dumb stuff. God ain't got nothing to do with it, and a lot of times the devil ain't got nothing to do with it either, depending on how it, it's you made some wrong decisions. But 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 what goes on in our life sometimes is that we 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 miss the whole idea that inheriting the kingdom is your behavior does determine how much of heaven flows through you here. There's areas of my aunt's life where there's no peace and no joy when she sees a snake. When you have some phobias, if you're lying to your neighbor and you're sleeping with your neighbor's wife, and you've stolen some of his tools, and you try to bring heaven to him, your behavior has disqualified you bringing heaven to him. It's not disqualified you from heaven, but it has everything to do with how much of heaven flows through you here. See, now, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense And you ain't getting into heaven? The moment you mess up, you're done. Out. That's why, man, for, you know, for six years, from 13 to 19 years old, 
I remember thinking, I mean, I can, I can serve God faithfully all my life and be like Moses, and I strike the rock rather than speak to it. And at the end of my life, he says, don't pass go, don't collect $200 straight to hell. I'm like, I'm going to go get high. And I didn't live in Colorado. I'm like, I'm going to go party, man. This is ridiculous. I mean, this is so difficult. Why even, why even try? And why didn't you share the gospel with me at 80? <laughs> then I could have had a whole lot of fun in the meantime. I mean, why didn't you tell me what? Because then the way I was raised, and some of you here probably were too, not only that, but all these people and all your neighbors around you, now that you've got the good news, actually you're also responsible for all of them too, and you're going to be judged someday because you didn't tell them about this fiery pit. And it's like, man, why are you preaching the gospel to kids? <laughs> See, we, we, again, we don't think this stuff through. And, and inheriting the kingdom is not about getting into heaven. Inheriting the kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy. Heaven flowing through you. Here and now. Not in the afterlife. That's why salvation is still important. We preach the gospel because we want people to not only have a relationship with God, we want them to walk in wholeness and peace because I have come that you might have life and life to the full. We want people to enjoy some heaven on earth. We want them to have heaven in their family, in their home. I've got a friend of mine, he says all the time, he said, man, uh, he said, when I get to heaven, I want to hear God not just say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear God say, man, I had a blast experiencing my creation in your body. You were so fun to walk around in. And most people say, I can't wait to make heaven my home when my heart is, I want my home to be more like heaven. Let me give you another simple example. Verse that I used out of context up until two years ago. I'm glad God's patient with all of us. Even grace folk love this verse. Paul and Silas are in prison one day, and all of a sudden an earthquake comes. Prison doors open, all the chains fall off. And the jailer, the Philippian jailer, is about ready to fall on his own sword. Now, for some reason, we never ask why. That's a huge part of the story, and we don't ask why. Paul shouts out and says, wait a minute, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. And the man says, what must I do to be sozoed? Think he was asking how to get into heaven? He was a pagan. Pagans had their own ideas about the afterlife. He, all he knew is an earthquake happened. He didn't, he didn't say, God sent an earthquake to set these men free. Because as a Philippian jailer guarding a Roman jail, if he didn't kill himself and, the, and all of the jail, all, men in jail, they actually escaped, then if he didn't kill himself, the Romans would still kill him but then sell his family into slavery. So him killing himself was actually preserving his family. And one of the words for Sozo is preservation. The man, listen, Jews didn't have any of our idea about heaven and hell. Jews believed in soul sleep. They believed that when the Messiah would come, he'd bust through the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, where Jesus was standing in Caesarea Philippi. He's literally standing there. They believed the Messiah would bust into hell, and he would then, all of their fathers that had died before them, he would awaken them in the resurrection, and then they would go as a procession out of hell, out of the grave, into heaven, into the presence of God. That was their belief. That's why Paul said, we shall not all sleep. Their whole their whole idea was just, you sleep with your fathers. All these ideas we get from Dante's Inferno and the Catholic Church and then sci-fi movies. And the Koran. The truth is a lot of our belief about this actually comes from the Koran. Some jacked up stuff. Milton's Paradise Lost. All, all, all of this stuff. And here, here, here Jesus 
is wanting to not only completely set us free, but the man says, what must I do to be preserved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your whole house will be preserved. That has nothing to do with going to heaven. Hey, I I taught it for years. I mean, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to go to heaven? Never asked that. He said, what must I do to not be killed by the Romans? Are you all here? Listen, context is everything. And a text out of context is just a con. And we've been conned to believe a whole lot of mess through the years because we've not read the verses around it. We've not focused on that whole thing. Now, let me let me switch this gear. Paul said, I long to come to you to preach the gospel to you because the gospel is the power of God unto wholeness, completeness, healing, prosperity, and deliverance. That means it's the whole gospel that produces sozo in you. Not one, two, three, or four dimensions of the gospel. Now, it's all the good news, but it's all different dimensions. Now, let me hit this. I want to just hit it in threes, and it'll go quick. Where everything starts is the gospel of grace and the gospel of Paul. All starts there. If grace is not the foundation, you're still going to do everything you can to try to earn your way in. Once you understand the gospel of Paul, what's the gospel of Paul? The gospel of Paul is God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. God was not in Christ, reconciling himself to the world. He was reconciling the world to himself. God didn't have the problem with us. We had the problem with God. That's a huge piece of that right there that we misunderstand all kinds of times. And so the gospel of Paul was awake to righteousness and sin not. Paul didn't scream, stop sinning, and then you're going to get righteous. He said, awaken that Christ already made you righteous, then you're going to stop sinning. All right, it's letting you know that you're not as jacked up as you thought you were. Because, boy, that, that was the gospel presented to me. You filthy, rotten, stinking, nasty, heathen. You're going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, I was in whole Saturday seminars where they taught us to use the Ten Commandments to convince people on the street of how horrible they were. Walk up to people and say, have you ever lied? Yes, I've lied. So by your own admonition, you are a liar. Well, I guess so. Have you ever lusted after a woman in your heart? Well, yes, I have. So by your own admonition, you're a lying fornicator. Well, I guess I am. Have you ever blasphemed the name of God? Yes, I have. So you're a lying, fornicating blasphemer. By the time they got done, like, <laughs> that's me. Because we thought preaching the gospel, even though Jesus never used the law on people, Paul never used the law on people, he never used it at all on them. Only thing Jesus, whenever he'd be around a sinner, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you filthy, rotten, stinking little heathen, you're going to hell in a handbasket, get down here and repent right now. Jesus wasn't a street preacher. And said, what does he say? Hey, Zach, I must come to your house. I give you nothing but grace, Zach. And what's amazing is Zacchaeus comes running down from the tree. He said, if I've stolen from anybody, I'm going to return it fourfold. Anybody I've defrauded, I'm going to give it back. And Jesus says, wow, salvation has come to his house. What do you mean? Jesus never even preached salvation to him, never preached the Romans road to him. All he said was, I accept you, Zacchaeus. And he was so blown away by the love of God and the grace of God, he automatically wants to change. He showed him, listen, man, you're better than you think you are. I'm not here to beat you up. And he began to change and transform. 
I, I preached last night down at, down at Paul's. Part of the message was that Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. That it doesn't say he came to bring sons to heaven. He came to bring sons to glory. It's the Greek word doxa. It's translated honor, value, worth, and approval. He came to tell a bunch of sons, you're valuable. You're worth something. You're worth so much. I'm going to actually die and lay down my life for you. And what would happen if the body of Christ began to preach to the son in people rather than the sin in people? What we've done is we focus on preaching to their sin and we never expose the son in them. Because he's above all, through all, and in all. Listen, Christ was in you before you ever prayed a prayer. How do we know that? Because in him we live and move and have our being, for we are all God's offspring. We're all his genos, his children, his family, his kind. Paul said on the Damascus Road, Christ was revealed in me. He didn't say Christ was revealed to him. That's why Paul would say the mystery of the gospel that's been hidden from the ages is the, is the gospel of the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our job in preaching the gospel is to expose the Son in you. Not the sin in you. You preached a lot of folks. That's why we had folks, man, that had the law given to them and took us 30 years. After we convinced them they were dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinners, it took us 30 years to convince them of the righteousness of God in Christ. Because a preacher would show up and say, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. He'd be like, man, I don't know about that. I just, man, I, I just can't believe that. Come on. Is this making sense to anybody? Now, now watch this. Everything has to start. If the gospel of grace is not the foundation... For a lot of years of my life, I got a revelation of the kingdom before I got a revelation of grace. And so I was still trying to access the kingdom of God by works and labor rather than by grace through faith. And so once grace is the foundation, that's when you know I don't have to earn this. I don't have to fight for it. This is a gift that's been freely given. And you understand the gospel of Paul. What must follow the gospel of grace is the gospel of the dear son. That's you understanding your sonship, your identity as a son of God, and it is showing you now that you are as he is on the earth. And and on top of that, the gospel of Christ, which is the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer that helps them overcome all of their issues. That's why if you don't preach sonship along with grace, this is what you have. I see this meme. People share it all the time on Facebook, and it says this. If you went to church this last Sunday and you left the building thinking more about what you need to do now that you left the building than what Jesus did for you, then you didn't hear the gospel. And I would say yes and no. You might not have heard the gospel of grace that morning, but you might have heard the gospel of the kingdom. If if pastor is going to teach a message on husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church, hopefully, gentlemen, you're not leaving the building thinking about everything Jesus did for you. Hopefully you're going to be smart enough because, ladies, how many of you know we're a little slow? I mean, we just are. Listen, you have to tell us, and you don't tell us once. You have to tell us over and over and over again. Well, he should just know. No, we don't. We're not that bright. You have to tell us what you want. Okay? Hopefully you're going to leave the building thinking, man, I need to take my wife on a date this week. I need, I need to buy some flowers, a nice car. I need to wash the dishes for her. Come on. That's something you're still going to do. But you see, I go to churches all the time. If you ask them, what's the gospel? They say the gospel of grace. I'm like, and? They're like, that's it. It's the gospel of grace. And if all people do is preach the gospel of grace, then it just turns into a big kumbaya session. I call it Barney theology. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. I'm loved. You're loved. I'm accepted. You're accepted. But they're not taking care of widows and orphans. They're not, they're not bringing heaven to earth. They're not seeing the kingdom of God manifested in their city, in their neighborhood. You see, there's a purpose for us here. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for good works. There's still something we're called to do on the planet rather than just sit around saying, I'm accepted, you're accepted. I'm good, you're good. Because you know what happens? People that have been in legalism their whole life, when they get a revelation of grace, they go crazy for a minute. 
They're like, woo, freedom. Everything they were told they couldn't do, all of a sudden God takes Peter up on the rooftop and he says, eat this. I've never eaten this. He said, things you call unclean, I call clean. He's like, well, all the stuff I call unclean is the stuff you said was unclean. He's like, actually, I didn't say it. Moses did, but that's another discussion. So the law came through Moses, not God. And actually, Paul said it came through angels, which is an interesting discussion all by itself. That's why Paul said, if anybody comes and preaches another gospel to you, even if it's an angel, don't listen to him. So, Selah, you can think about that one a little bit later. See, if all we preach is one aspect of the gospel, then we're deficient in some other areas. I must also preach the gospel of the dear son. Because you see, the gospel of grace and the gospel of Paul makes us available for a desire to bring heaven to earth. It makes us available to love God and and be a part of of this kingdom and love one another. By loving him, we actually love one another. It's, It's what actually walks us out. They'll know we are his by our love one for another, not by our love for him, by our love for humans. He said, that, that's where the rubber meets the road in this whole thing. But if that's all that we have and all that we do, we're going to be deficient because that makes you available, but it's the gospel of sonship and your identity as a son in Christ and your responsibility as a son that makes you accountable. See, the reason people fight the gospel of grace is because they're like, well, there's no accountability there. And the truth is, in the gospel, there's accountability. Absolutely, there's accountability. It's not control. It's not fear. It's not manipulation. Paul was a master at this. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, all the gospel of grace. This is what God did for you and as you. It gets to chapter 4. Now, little children, now that you know what Christ did for you by grace, this is how you live as a son. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Put on the full armor of God to stand against the wiles and the tricks of the enemy. Children, obey your parents. He said, now that you know this, this is how you live. We struggle with that because... I was raised my whole life on Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and no one told me Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. So I knew everything I was supposed to do, but didn't know what I was supposed to be. Hmm? Y'all are getting quiet on me. See, if there's no sonship connected to it, all creation is groaning, not for the son to return to the earth. All creation is groaning for a manifestation of the mature sons of God. When, when God... When God's going to bring change in the earth, according according to the book of Matthew, he said, listen, man, what I want to sow into the field, which is the world, are the sons of the kingdom, and the sons of the kingdom are the wheat. He said, if I want to bring change in a region, I'm going to look for a son and a daughter. I'm not going to look for a Christian. I'm not going to look for a believer. I'm going to look for a son that I can sow into it. If I I want to begin to see the business arena transform in your region, I'm going to look for a son that I can sow into the business arena that's going to have a heart to begin to see. That that is why one of the greatest revivals that ever hit America was actually a very small one most people don't know about. And it was a man by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere. He was a guy over over in, in New York City. They began to actually have all of these prayer meetings on Wall Street and it began to literally transform the, the whole nation because all of a sudden all these wealthy millionaires got fired up for the kingdom and they started actually doing some stuff. I get tired of Christians complaining about the education system and yet none of them will run for the school board. Amen. Good teaching, brother. Yeah, we just can't believe what's going on around here. Maybe you're called to be the change. Maybe you're called to be an agent of change rather than to sit around hiding in the church waiting for Jesus to come back. Just maybe as a son, there's some accountability because then you've got to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel 
the gospel of God, that is God as Lord and King, because that's what brings responsibility. You can have all these people that are available because they've heard the gospel of grace, but if they're not willing to be accountable with what God's placed on the inside of them, and they're not willing to be responsible. We have a church world right now full of people that don't want any responsibility. Matter of fact, if you ask for someone to do something in the church, it's like you're putting me back under law. Pastor, you're preaching works again. You go back. This ain't you working for something. It's working from something. Paul said, by the grace of God, I labored more than all the other apostles. There's works of grace. I said, there's works of grace. But this is what happens. People have been under works their whole life. They get set free. No labor, no sweat, no works. And man, they've heard Joseph Prince teach. It's not what you do, do, do. It's what he's done, done, done. And then you can't get folks to do, do, do anything. They don't want to give no more because they got set free in Malachi 3. They don't, they, I mean, they don't want to serve in the church. They don't want to do anything anymore all of a sudden. It's because we have preached not the whole gospel. It's preaching the whole, which, by the way, this would be a cool series. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know his teacher mind. I was seeing just, just flowing hard. Just once we get an understanding of the wholeness of this kingdom, where I'm willing to be a responsible, accountable an available son because this salvation that has been released on the earth is not for me to just sit around saying I get to go to heaven but there's actually something we're here to accomplish in the region we're here as the sons of God that are the peacemakers that will inherit the earth see part of the confusion one one of my apostles makes this statement all the time and he's from He's from Australia, so he doesn't have an American mindset. And he said, there's such confusion in the body of Christ because we see stuff that happens in in Washington and different laws that get handed down, and, and everything in our spirit is screaming to do something about it. But all the teaching that's come to our head is it doesn't matter what you do because Jesus said in the last days everything's got to get worse. And so rather than actually go and be an agent of change, we just sit around saying, boy, Boy, this America is going to hell in a handbasket. Lord, it's just falling apart. Things are getting worse. It's only Americans that will complain about how bad everything is getting while they drive home in their Lexus, go home into a two-car garage, pull it inside, and go sit and watch a 70-inch flat screen. Lord, the world's falling apart. It's just getting worse, getting worse. The truth is things are better today than it's ever been in your lifetime. I have a friend of mine, he just wrote a book called Why We've Been Duped Into Believing the World is Getting Worse. It's because we sit around and watch too much Fox News and too much CNN. They don't report any good news. They only report bad news. The truth is, every statistic tells us that the world is better today than it's ever been in history. People are living longer. Actually, do you know that their poverty will be, uh, starvation will be eradicated by the year of 2027? I mean, there's things in place. The world is actually getting better. How do I know that? Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a little piece of leaven, and the leaven will leaven the whole lump. And the kingdom has been increasing for the last 2,000 years. God started a renovation project that's lasted for two days. We just entered into the third day of his renovation project. He declared a Tikhon Olam because the Jews believed that when the Messiah would come, he wouldn't just take the planet, he wouldn't destroy this earth, he would renovate the planet, and we're a part of the renovation project. That will fire me up with some purpose. But the confusion, I remember when the whole gay marriage thing came up. People are freaking out. They're like, oh my God, it's never been this bad in all of history. And I remember I went on line and I said, I'm confused why a lot of my friends are all upset about this gay marriage thing. Your, your eschatology teaches the world's got to get worse before Jesus can come. How come you ain't excited about it? 
I mean, shouldn't you be like dancing in the streets? Woo, it's getting worse. We're getting ready to go. I said, because everything inside of you, the Holy Spirit is screaming for you to make a difference. But then we've been taught all this stuff that's confused us. And the church has become bipolar in a lot of places, just confused. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm in the kingdom, just got kicked out. My name's in the book. It might have just got erased. I hope there's some white out. Autocorrect for everybody under 30. And we wonder why this American Western futurism is the only system of thought that prays for the other team to win so we can leave the field. Think about that one for just a minute. We're almost praying for the other team to win so we can get out of Dodge rather than actually take our responsibility to be the change. See, when we have a mindset of the kingdom, we take responsibility for the earth. We take responsibility of our natural resources. This isn't a political discussion at all. The truth is because we're concerned about generations to come, then we actually plant a tree that doesn't make us tree huggers. We have a heart that says we want to take care of this planet because God is the one that gave us dominion over it. That's why it it can marry all this crazy stuff where people go way out of whack with this stuff. And we realize as a son of God, I'm responsible for heaven to manifest through me, to manifest the double portion, the birthright of the kingdom of God. And if we don't take that responsibility, it's going to continue to get abdicated in the world around us rather than getting better. What if this kind of stuff would have been taught 100 years ago? What would our neighborhoods look like right now? What would our cities look like? Instead, the church sat hiding in the church for the last 180 years, hiding from the world rather than going into the world. That's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom brings responsibility. That's why I don't, I'm a grace preacher to the nth degree. Radical grace. I don't think you can call it amazing. I call it supercalifragilisticexpialidocious grace. Just give me the, the longest word possible. You still can't describe it. Man, I love preaching the gospel of grace. But man, I'm going to preach also the gospel of the dear son because I want the children of God to grow into sonship so they become accountable for what God has for them on the earth and then become responsible sons. So they impart what they have to the next generation. I'll stop with this. And uh, could someone play the keyboard? Who will play the keyboard if you could play softly? Thank you. That will shut me up. At least help me wind down. We have for way too long, Paul said, the gospel is the power of God. The good news is the power of God into wholeness, prosperity, healing. If you need healing, you better get around some folks that are declaring some good news about healing. I, I don't understand why people will continue to sit in churches preaching bad news. It is beyond me. Because it's only the good news that's the real power. Bad news puts you in nothing but bondage. See, I, I believe we're, our soteriology, which is the other word for salvation, is starting to shift back to the original intent. It was always about the here and the now and not the afterlife. Now, it doesn't mean there's not an afterlife. Listen, absent from the body, present with the Lord. No doubt about it. There's a biblical place called heaven. There's a biblical place says called hell. Y'all are learning about that already. My wife and I, we were driving down the road the other day, and there was a big sign on the highway, and it said, heaven or hell, you choose. I said, actually, both. She said, what? 
I said, when I die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But my body is going to hell. It's going to the grave. Because we've misunderstood. That's all it means. And, and I, I don't know how you get thrown someday over into a valley in Jerusalem. That's, that's just beyond me. I had one of my spiritual sons in October. He was in Israel, and he was standing in the valley of Hinnom in Gehenna. He took a picture. He said, hey, Pop, I'm in hell today. <laughs> and there was flowers everywhere and people partying. And I said, man, isn't that interesting? So it's not that there's not biblical places. There is an afterlife. No doubt about it. But that shouldn't be our goal. Our goal should be what we do in this life. That's what Jesus' teachings were about. It wasn't about leaving here. It was about making a difference while you're here. And once once our soteriology shifts and we begin to actually see, I'm convinced a lot of what we've called the gospel has either been just in part or not the gospel at all. I think we're just starting to figure out what the gospel is. We're just starting to figure out what salvation really is always about. And I tell you what, I'm more optimistic today than I've ever been in my lifetime. I'm not terrified. I, I can't wait to see what my grandchildren are going to see. I'm not afraid of the future. I believe we can absolutely change it. We can produce a tomorrow land. Hmm? If we'd ever get some people stop being pessimistic and release a little hope, we've never seen the Disney movie Tomorrowland, go rent it. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God all over it, I, I screamed at the TV in tongues in the movie theater. My kids are like, oh, Lord, here he goes again. He's getting revelation out of a movie. Dad, always. Because we have, we have responsibility. And the Lord, Lord said this to me in 1999, and I'll stop with this. I said, Lord, why, why is it that Malachi says it's the spirit of Elijah that turns hearts and not Elisha? Elisha had a double portion. He had twice the miracles. He had... All this powerful things. Why Elijah? Why not Elisha? And I, I didn't get any light on it about four to six months later. I'm reading in Second Kings. And Elisha had died and his bones were now in a cave. And some men were carrying a friend who had died. And they saw an enemy in the distance and they got afraid and they dropped their friend. He rolled into the cave of Elisha. And when his dead body hit the bones of Elisha, the man was raised from the dead. And all of a sudden I started to get grieved because... I normally got excited reading that because I preached a sermon in the 90s called Anointed to the Bone. I was like, Lord, why am I getting grieved? He said, I'm about to answer the question you had. The reason it's the spirit of Elijah rather than Elisha is because the Elisha went to the grave with his anointing. Nobody's dead bones should be raising anybody. Because you should empty out who you are and what you have, your wealth, your wisdom, your understanding to the next generation. The reason it's Elijah is because Elijah left what he had with the next generation and Elisha went to the grave with it. That's called kingdom responsibility. That's saying, I don't want to be the one. That's why I, I, I'll never forget the Holy Spirit said this to me too. He said, America, especially Western evangelicalism, has been overrun with a spirit of Absalom and a mindset of Absalom. I'm like, what's that? It says this about Absalom. Absalom had no sons, so he built monuments to himself. We've got massive buildings. Great visionaries built them 50 years ago, but then they died, and they never poured into sons and daughters, and now there's 100 people sitting in a building that sees 5,000. That's why Psalm 127 says this, unless the Lord... Builds the house, the laborers labor in vain or vanity. But that word build is a Hebrew word benah, and it's translated son. Unless the Lord sons the house, the builders build shacks, the message Bible says. In other words, if we've not 
imparted to the next generation and took our responsibility. We've missed the whole point of what this gospel is about. Because every generation has their part in advancing the kingdom. Every generation, things are supposed to get better. I didn't have my first house till I was 34 years old. My daughter and her husband, they own seven. Every generation should be increasing, not getting worse. Increasing. Why? Because the knowledge that we pour into them, they begin to understand. I've said for years, man, if I could go back to being 22 years old again, but only if I could know what I know now. I wouldn't want to go through all the stuff I went through to get here. There's a lot of stuff I'd do different, but you know what? I can't do anything about that, but I can teach my kids. I can pour, I can take responsibility and pour to the next generation. Take responsibility to care for widows and orphans. Responsibility to care for the marginalized. Take responsibility that we are the ones that are here that can make a change on the earth. By your heads, would you? Father, I thank you today. I thank you for every precious son and daughter that's in this house, those that, that may listen to this. Lord, I thank you for the journey that you have all of us on, and we're all in different parts. I love, I love, Lord, as a friend of mine says, that three million people came out of Egypt, and the people at the front of the line were seeing things different than people at the back of the line. And we're all in different parts of our journey, and we're all on the way somewhere, but I thank you for your grace in the middle of it. Reveal the gospel to us in a greater measure. Help us to know how great a salvation, that we don't work for our salvation, but we work it out of us. We're working healing out of us, deliverance, prosperity, wholeness, completeness. These are not things we have to work for. They're things we work out. And I thank you for everything you finished and completed in us and what you're still yet to do. In Jesus' name. I want you to do one thing. Would you put your hand on your heart? I want you to pray something with me. Just because the kingdom of God is voice activated and Paul said, I believe, therefore I speak. There's something that happens, a belief system, when you audibilize it, it releases something. So pray this out loud. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the gospel. It has transformed my life. It's bigger than I thought. There's so much more that you still have for me. I thank you for this salvation. Thank you for wholeness, completeness, healing, deliverance. Thank you for everything you've done for me and as me. I receive that by faith today. And then help me to be a responsible son, to pour this out everywhere I go. I want heaven to flow through me. I want to be a conduit of change in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I ask that you you seal this seed in our hearts and minds. I thank you for much fruit that will be bore. Father, I thank you that you're going to give greater revelation to each of us, a greater understanding. Father, I, I pray that it go way beyond what I even shared. I thank you. Thank you for kingdom availability and kingdom accountability and the kingdom responsibility. We We declare that over every son and daughter in here. We thank you for all that you've done in us and through us. Everything you've done in this house up until now and what you're still yet to do. And we'll thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.